Hallelujah. But let's just open with a word of prayer. Amen. Father, we just thank you. We just thank you because it is your will, your desire to bless your people. It is your will and your desire to touch us, to draw us closer to your heart. And I pray this morning that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you and your heart. The eyes of our heart being opened and flooded with light that we may know all your, your calling and what your inheritance and your power that is there available to heal us and bless us and deliver us. And I thank you, Lord, that we come expecting to hear from the Holy Ghost. And I yield myself to you, Holy Ghost, as the vessel. And I, I thank you that you helped me to minister this morning with all simplicity and total clarity that even a little child can understand. And Father, I just thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. This morning, we're going to talk about Jesus because it's all about Jesus. But I want to talk because you see from the very, very beginning of time, it always has been the heart of the Father, the heart of God to bless his, his family, you know, to bless his children, to touch them, to heal them, to love them, to accept them, to draw them close to his heart. That's been his heart from the beginning. And you know, that's why when Jesus came, what did Jesus, when he stood in the synagogue and he declared, you found that in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor so they don't have to be poor anymore. Oh, to, to heal the brokenhearted so they can be whole. To uh, uh, set at liberty the captives so they can be free. Oh, to open blind eyes and heal the sick and to, set, to, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What does this mean, the acceptable year of the Lord? It means the year of grace where we can be accepted accepted, accept God and be accepted by him and loved by him. That from, that's why Jesus came to, to proclaim. And he said, I'm anointed for that very reason. So I'm going to be bold this morning as just a member of the body of Christ. His will has not changed. His desire and his love for his family has not changed. And so as a member of the body of Christ, I'm going to be so bold to say the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me. To preach the same good news. To set that liberty the captives. Glory to God. That has been the desire of the Father. Even in the Old Testament. Even in the Old Testament we see King David. Oh, in Psalm 103, I love it. King David, who was a man of grace. Oh, he said, he, he, we said that he was a man after God's own heart. What does this mean? He knew the heart of the Father. And he says, you bless the Lord, oh my soul. And don't forget any of his benefits. Who forgives all, how many? All your iniquities. Who heals all, how many? All of your diseases. Who crowns your head with loving kindness and tender mercy. Who fills your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. That has been the heart of the Father. That's been the mission of Jesus. And the good news is that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And you see, at the beginning, when God chose the people of Israel, his family, and he took them out of Egypt, you know, before he took them, remember, there were a people in bondage. They were slaves. They were broke. They were broken. They were weak. They were depressed. They were sick. They were miserable. But what did God do? He took them in all, oh, you know, with a, a strong hand. He took them out of Egypt. But you know what he told them to do? Before he got them out of Egypt, he told them to take a little lamb and say, that lamb has to be one year old. Perfect. No defect. And take that little lamb and you're going to sacrifice it. This is found in Exodus chapter 12. In, if you have your Bible... You could go and look at it together. In Exodus chapter 12. Oh, look at that. Da-da-da. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And thou shalt take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and on the lintel of the house where they eat it. And then God told them not only to then, okay, they shall eat the flesh on that night, Roasted in fire, hmm, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat of it. Do not eat it raw, no boiled at all with water, but roasted in the fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it. With a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, for I am the Lord." Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Amen. Hallelujah. We find out here that God told the children of Israel to take a little lamb, a perfect little lamb. Now why? What did... That little lamb do for them. What did he do? We found out that that lamb, the blood applied around the door, caused judgment to pass over the house and the people in the house. And it says because of the blood, when I see the blood in verse 23 of Exodus 12, he said, God said, I will not allow the destroyer to come into the house and the plague to come in. But then we ask the question, okay, because of the blood, the people of Israel, they, they escaped judgment and the wrath that fell on the world. But why did God tell them to take a little lamb and roast it in fire and eat all of it and do not leave any, any out? Why did God? Why? Because there were a people that needed strength 
And they need healing for the journey. By eating the flesh of the lamb, what did they receive? They received strength, physical strength, emotional strength, and they received healing in their body. But now people say, well, why is that so incredible? Why is that such a... a, a, a?" No, think about it. The Bible tells us in Psalm 105, 30, verse 37, that's another account of the Exodus. And it says that, the, that, there was, that they got out of Egypt with gold and silver. Now, rem- remember, they were broke. They were slaves. They got out of Egypt with gold and silver, and there was not one feeble among the tribe. Now, feeble, what does feeble mean? It's a Hebrew word, kazal. Kazal. And the word kazal means so weak that you stumble. So weak that your leg can't hold you. It means depressed. It means sick. It means, oh, oh, that, that you are falling apart. Now, remember, the people of Israel, when they ate of the lamb... They applied the blood and judgment didn't come in their house. They applied the blood and sickness could not get into the house. But for those who were in the house who needed strength, who needed healing, remember they were slaves. They had been beaten, mistreated, under harsh labor, malnourished, I imagine. If they didn't meet the quota of bricks, cha. Lashes on their back. But yeah, it says that among the tribes, not one, not one person was weak, feeble, depressed, sick, and broke. Not one. Now, you know, I travel a lot. And I happen to minister on healing very often. And I remember one time I was in Burundi in a Bible college and there were about 500 people there. And when it came the time for the, for, for to ask those who needed healing, 400 people came forward. I mean, you go in the average church today and you said, who needs healing? Everybody raised their hand, almost. But here you are telling me that the people of Israel, now how many people are we talking about? In Exodus 12, 37, it says that 600,000 men alone. That means there were probably another 600 women. That's 1.2 million. We know there were kids around. And Jewish family, they don't just have one little kid. They have bunches. But let's be conservative, shall we? Let's say maybe two kids. That's already 2.4 million. A minimum of 2.4 million and not one got out of Egypt weak, sick, Depressed, ruined. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. This Passover lamb, when they ate the lamb, and you, oh, glory to, I'm getting excited here. When they ate the lamb, that little ba ba ba, they ate the little lamb. And they received, not only they escaped judgment, but they received physical strength and healing in their body. But remember that this is 
only, that was only, if you allow me to say it this way, that Passover lamb, that feast, was only a dressed rehearsal for what Jesus was going to do. Colossians 2.17 says that those feasts and rituals are only a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. You see what God, I told the children of Israel to do on that night was only to show what Jesus would do for you and for me. And if the flesh of a little, little lamb could do that much, how much more do you think that the body and the blood of Jesus can accomplish in our life? Glory to God. This is the reason why you remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus, what did he say in John 1.29? He said, here is the lamb, the lamb of God who takes the sin of the world. What was he talking about? He was talking about Jesus being that Passover lamb. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 17. He said, Jesus, our Passover lamb was sacrificed for us. And you remember, this is what Jesus actually proclaimed really in action on that night before he was betrayed, on that night before he went to the cross. You remember? He was together with his disciple in the upper room. And they, it was the Passover where all the Jews across the land were getting a little lamb ready, inspecting it, and then killing it and bringing it on the altar. At that exact moment, Jesus was sitting with a disciple. And what did he do? He took the bread and he took the cup. And we can find that in Luke chapter 22. Let's go there together. In Luke 22. In verse 14 through 20. He says, when the hour had come, Jesus sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And then he said to them, oh, with such fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took the cup. You know why he said that? And that because he knew that Jesus was going to fulfill everything. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks. And what did he say? The, the, the Jewish blessings is, oh Lord God of the universe. We thank you because you give us bread from the earth. That was the Jewish prayer when he gave thanks. He, he said, do this. This is my body, which is given for you. You do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until, uh, until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. I already read that, didn't I? But we see here that Jesus, 
is right there before. What is he telling the disciples? He's telling them what you've been, you've been celebrating the Passover year after year after year. Remember what happened the day I took Israel out of Egypt? Well, now. I'm getting ready to be the fulfillment of it. I am that little lamb. I am that little lamb. And he was showing the disciples that he was that Passover lamb that was going to take away the sin of the world. He was that Passover lamb whose blood was going to be spilled to sign a covenant. He was that little lamb whose body was going to be broken to give them strength, give them healing, and to give them everything they're ever going to need. That's what Jesus was saying right there. His blood was spilled. That's what he said. He said, remember, my blood is spilled so you can escape to judgment. His body is broken so we can get strength and healing. Listen to what Paul said. And I know in a little bit I'm going to bust some of your bubbles. So put your seatbelt on and get ready. I'm, I'm getting ready to kill some sacred cows. And I can say it because I'm not in India right now. In Romans 5, 9, the Apostle Paul said, Much more, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when you and I were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, we shall now be saved by his life. And the word save doesn't mean just saving your soul from hell. The word save is the word sozo, which means saved, being made whole, spirit, soul, and body. Being saved from hell, being saved from sickness, saved from destruction, saved from poverty, saved from anything the devil will try to do. And now what is Paul saying? You see, when you were enemies of God in the world, God loved you so much that he, he sent his son to die for you. How much more now that you are part of the family, have you, are you escaping judgment? Judgment is no longer yours. And not only now because you're part of the family, how much more is God willing to bless you, to heal you, to strengthen you, to protect you, to prosper you, to do whatever it is a daddy does for his kids. But yet we tend, I, it breaks my heart when I go places and I hear people tell me that Father God has made them sick to teach them something. Or Father God has caused their kids to be a certain way to teach them something or do some kind of a work. That is not a daddy. If God died when you were an enemy. He died for how much more now that you are his kids? Is he willing to show, to bless you, to protect you, to prosper you, to all oh, glory to God? That deserves a big hallelujah. That is my daddy God. 
His love, His goodness. Shatatakaramahasit. And you notice what Jesus said? He says, do this in remembrance of me. Meaning, you've got to remember to do what we just did together. Remember to do it. And it was a commandment. Do this in remembrance of me. Do what? Do that last supper together. We call it today communion. Because you and I, we know we're not going to longer any sacrifice a little lamb. Aren't you glad? Amen, sister. We are not going to celebrate the Passover like they did. Why? Because Jesus, our Passover lamb, has already died once and for all, for all people, for all time. But we have now, we can in remembrance of that moment of what Jesus did as the Passover lamb, we can take communion together to remember that. We can take, this is what communion is all about. Glory to God. And we find that in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 11. But I love that. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul, now remember, this is what Paul says. He says, and this I received from the Lord. You know what that tells me? And he's talking about communion. He did not receive it from the disciples who had last supper with Jesus. While he was three years in Arabia, Paul even said he had visions and revelation. He was even taken up to the third heaven. And right there, the master of the church, the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ, appeared to him and gave him commandment. And Paul said, for this I received from the Lord. You know what that shows me? That communion is a pretty important deal. It is not just something we do, a little ritual that we try to do once in a while because that's a little Christian duty to do. No, no, no. Jesus said, he gave specific instructions to Paul. Saying, from now, remember, tell my people, tell my kids, they have got to remember that I am the Passover lamb. Tell them to remember what I did on the cross, that I am that lamb that was sacrificed, that my blood is causing them now to escape wrath and judgment. That my flesh that was roasted for three days in the flame of hell brought them strength and healing to their body. Tell my kids not to forget to do it. But you see, the problem today that in most churches, we never tell people what communion is all about. We just give the little wafer, we just give the little cup, and we said, okay, thank you, Jesus. And people... In all good to take communion without really understanding what it is, what it is for, and why we should take communion. Therefore, if they don't know what it is and why to take communion and why we take communion, they therefore cannot release faith. Thank you for those two amen, but I'll take them anyway. And that's why it is so important for us to understand that communion is a simply a celebration, a remembrance of that Passover lamb. What God did for the children of Israel, he wants to do it and even greater and better for us, his kids. Because what a little lamb, bear, 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 did for a whole nation 
and not one was weak or sick, the Christ, the Passover lamb did much, much more for us. Hallelujah. So when we take communion, what do we remember? We remember, number one, that we are forgiven. That we are accepted by God. Remember the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what Jesus came to proclaim. God is not upset with you. God is not even in a bad mood with you. God loves you, accepts you, receives you, and draws you close to his heart. That's what we remember, what the blood means. The blood means that now God, there is now no longer any judgment left for you. That's what Romans 8, 1 says, there is now in Christ no more condemnation. That's what the Passover lamb did. When judgment fell on Egypt, judgment passed over the people of Israel. And when, yes, there is judgment out there in the world, not coming from God, but coming from sin, coming from the devil. But you know, when you are in Christ and under his blood, that judgment passes over you. And remember what the blood also, when, the, when God saw the blood, Exodus 12, 23 said that God would not allow the destroyer to come into your house. And he would not allow the plague to come in. You know what we remember when we take communion? That legally sickness has no longer any right to come into our house. And I'm talking this house, our body. But here is the thing, if you don't know your legal rights, if you don't know what Jesus did, and you don't know your legal rights, you're going to be bullied, stolen from, and pushed around by the devil. People that doesn't know their legal right can be bullied by the devil and pushed around and stolen from. But you see, when we take communion, we remember, oh, I'm under the blood of Jesus Christ. And that blood, sickness, you have no right to come into this temple, into this body. You can take a stand and say, no, no legal right. And then finally, you see, for those who need deliverance, who need freedom from addiction and bondage, all kind of stuff, for us who need strength, not only physical, but spirit, soul, and body. Those who need healing can just approach the Lord's table saying, I'm coming to receive that healing, to receive that strength. That is what the Passover lamb did for Israel. And that is what Jesus did for us and much more. Hallelujah. But you see, we just looked in first, in, in let's go back to first Corinthians. Those guys are good. My goodness, they're awesome. In first Corinthians 11, 23 to 26, Paul says, I received from the Lord, which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. You do this and remember, brunts of me. That sounds very much like what we read in the book of Luke 12, isn't it? And that he received it, not from the disciples, from the Lord Jesus himself. 
In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant. A new covenant, not an old, a new. That's what Pastor Paul spoke about last week. A new and living way. Not in the oldness of the letter, because the letter, the law, kills, condemns, accuses you, and makes you run like a little hamster in the cage, always trying harder and harder. Mm -mm. No, in a new and living way, in the Spirit. You can go and pick up some CDs on that. I've got some good messages on that. And do this. As often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat it, this bread, and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. It's not just about proclaiming the Lord's death, but what the Lord's death did for you and I. It's not just saying, Jesus, you died, but why did you die? Oh, glory to God. But yeah, of course, there is this passage that comes right after that. And that passage has been so misunderstood, so misinterpret, misinterpreted, blah, 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 that is kept so many people in condemnation and guilt, feel unworthy and unable to approach the Lord's table. I mean, here is a, a situation, somebody who is struggling with a sin, wanting so much to walk straight, but they don't seem to be able to. But we are told, uh-huh, if you've got any sin in your life, you cannot take communion. Because if you do, God is going to judge you. So what does it say? Therefore, whoever eats his bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Sleep meaning die. And so we see here that people said, well, I'm struggling with this. Oh, I have this problem, therefore I cannot take the Lord's table. But we got to ask yourself, what does it mean to eat unworthily? Because that's what Paul says, whoever eats unworthily then brings judgment to himself. Let's find out what, un what is it to eat unworthily. Now, First, I'll ask a question. I'll do like Jesus. To answer your question, I'll ask a question. What is it? What is it that makes us worthy in God? Our good conduct? Is that what makes us worthy before God? Our good behavior, our good conduct? Thank you. No, it is not your conduct that makes you worthy before God. It is your faith in Jesus and your faith in what Jesus did. Are you in agreement with me? So if your, what your good conduct cannot make you worthy before God, 
Do you think your bad conduct would make you unworthy? I'll let you answer that question. No. And so let's find out. You see, when we look in this first, Paul is making a parallel here. You look, he's talking about eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, not discerning the Lord's body. He's saying here that eating and drinking unworthily is not when they don't discern the Lord's body. But what does it mean to discern the Lord's body? The word dis- discern is the word, the Greek word diakrino. Dia to krino, separate. It means to make a distinction, to separate correctly. And so what is it here that we've got to separate and make a distinction? Listen again what Paul says. To he who eats and drinks unworthily, or in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment on himself, not discerning the Lord's body. You see, to fully understand this, we've got to go back to the Passover lamb. Because you see, if the benefits that came through the Passover lamb belong to us in Jesus, the Passover lamb, while we take communion, then the same restriction or the same distinction will apply. What was the distinction that God made during the Passover? Where were the restrictions that applied during the Passover? And we'll discover what are the restrictions that applies to you to participate to the Last Supper. Are you ready? Are you buckled up? Hallelujah. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 15 through 20, the Bible says that they had Israel in order to take the Passover lamb, they had to do two things. Only They had first to remove all the leaven from the house. Right? And number two, they had to be circumcised. Anybody who was not circumcised could not participate and eat the Passover. So we see those two things. They had to remove the leaven. And then they had to be circumcised. And then they could eat the Passover lamb. But what does this mean to us? What does this mean to us today? Number one, removing the leaven. I know what you're thinking. Contrary to what most people think, leaven is not sin. You know what Jesus said leaven is? Listen to what Jesus says. So you, you don't have to throw stones at me. You'll just throw stones at Jesus. <laughs> Jesus said in Luke 12, 1, he says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisee, which is hypocrisy. Now, what is hypocrisy? You know, the word hypocrisy in the Bible, it's like an actor playing a role, playing a part, pretending to be something you're not. Or it's being, in another word, here you go. Now you see, it's in the Bible. I didn't invent it, right? Jesus said that leaven is hypocrisy. And hypocrisy, I looked it up in the dictionary, in the the vines, in the concordance, to make sure I wasn't, and this is what it says. 
Hypocrisy is to play a role like an actor. Pretend to be something you're not. To deceive and purposefully give a false impression of who you really are. Do you know what Paul said leaven is? Paul talks about leaven and, and listen to what Paul says. In 1 Corinthians 5, 8, he said, Let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You see, if you had to wait to be perfect and without totally, without never sinning, never not doing anything to partake of communion, well, you and I would have to wait for a long time. And I mean, here is one little thought I'll throw at you. How many of you this morning, you have passed the speed limit by one mile? Well, I have some flash news for you this morning. You've sinned. And what people say, ah, no, Audrey, that's a little sin. I'm talking about the big sin. But you see, in God's eyes, there is not, you know, in heaven, category sin number one, category number two. There is not little sin, middle sin, big sin. There is sin. Sin is sin. And let me say something to you. When you, in the Old Testament, when people uh, sacrificed the Passover lamb and brought the Passover lamb, what is it that God inspected? Did God inspect the people? Did the people have to be perfect? No. What is it that God looked at? He looked at the lamb. It's the lamb that had to be perfect. So you see, when you come to God to approach the Lord's table, to receive what Jesus has got for you, you can go on the basis of your faith in Jesus Christ. And what is it that God looks at? He looks at the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, because Jesus, the Lamb of God, is perfect. Oh, I know some of you have just put a wrinkle in your brain. Glory to God. So we see here, the first thing we have to do is to remove the leaven. And we see here that Paul is telling us, how do you remove the leaven? By approaching God with true, true truth in your heart, with, with a, a, a sincerity. God is looking for people that are authentic, that are genuine, that are 100%. Here it is. I'm not perfect, but here it is. Look at David. Look at Abraham. Were they perfect? No, but they approach God with sincerity, with a true heart. And that's what God is looking. We've got to remove the leaven from our house, which is any kind of hypocrisy, trying to be a somebody we're not. Trying, we have to get away. We've got, we've got to get set free, people. For too long in the church, we have tried to be people that looks like we've got it all together. And I thank God for my pastor. I am so thankful for my pastor because what you see is what you get. He doesn't try to put a front of superstore. I've got it all together. And what has that done? 
coming from leaders in the body of Christ that project an appearance of we have no problem, we've got no problem. And, and what happened if somebody struggles with a sin? We put it under the carpet. We don't let anybody know about it. Because I pray too, we've got to appear. That's what Jesus is talking about, hypocrisy. Thank you for that one amen, sister. I'll take it. And what has this produced? It has produced people that are afraid to be genuine. It has produced people that are afraid to be themselves, that are, that are afraid to come and be vulnerable and say, I'm struggling with that thing. I love God. I want to love God and be and walk straight, but I've got a problem. I've got a struggle. And, and it's caused people to not be transparent. But all of a sudden, we've got a bunch of churches with little robot. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I've got it all together. <laughs> no, I don't, don't take me wrong. I believe in having a faith confession. But we've got to be. God is looking for people that are authentic like David, that are genuine, that are transparent. And are not afraid to approach God saying, God, I love you so much, but I've struggled with this. And what has happened is because we've said, if you've got a sin in your life, you cannot take communion. God's going to judge you. It's made people afraid to come to the communion. And my friend, at the communion table, this is where you will find strength. This is where you will find grace. This is where you will find power to overcome that sin. Paul said, I'm, you're getting me excited now. Paul said, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign. You see, as long as you feel condemned, unworthy, guilty, you will never be able to overcome that problem. But when you come to the table of the Lord with an open heart and say, Father, I'm struggling with that stuff, that's where you'll find strength to overcome. That's where, that's where you'll find help and strength. Thank you, Jesus. And then finally, we found, and you see, it's when you remove, come on now, it's when you remove all that leaven, all that pretending, all that hypocrisy, you come with a sincere and true heart that you can truly, truly be circumcised. Because that was a requirement, is to be circumcised. Now, before you look at me and say, oops. I'm not talking about, you see, under the old covenant, there was the circumcision of the flesh. But even there, look at it. The man had to expose his most vulnerable parts. I mean, you can be more transparent than that. And be circumcised, which was a sign of a true and sincere heart that wanted God. But today, what, what does Paul say? He said, now nah, the circumcision, it's not on the flesh. Listen to this. Our circumcision in Romans 2.29 is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. You see, in this new covenant today, in this new covenant, God is not looking at your conduct on your outward appearance. God is looking at our heart. 
Because you see, you can make a dog obey. Have you ever met people that do everything right on the outside? I got it, sir. I pay my tithe. I read my three chapters. I don't, I don't have in. But in their heart, they are false. They are deceitful. They are ugh, ugly on the, in their heart. Who do you think pleases God more? Somebody who is struggling with a sin, but who has an authentic and genuine heart and say, God, I'm struggling with this, but I, help me, Lord, I love you. Or somebody who's got it all together that looks like Mr. Goody Tissue, but in their heart they are corrupt, they are deceitful, they are false, they're hypocrites. Did you notice that Jesus never got angry with sinners? But who did he get angry with? Thank you, brother, the hypocrites. Jesus was always angry at hypocrites. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. But never angry with sinners. Sinners that came to him with a sincere heart. We're saying, well, we know we don't have it all together. But they were drawn, their heart was drawn to truth, drawn to God. Oh, that pleased the Father, that pleased God. And that's what he wants to see in us. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark 7, verse 6. Jesus answered, he says, oh, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. For it is written, oh, these people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from God. So you see, to take communion... God is not asking you to be perfect and have it all together. You could be struggling this morning with an addiction. You could be struggling with stuff in your life and you, you don't, nobody even knows it. But it's time right now to remove the leaven, remove the pretense that everything's got is, is, is well together. Remove that and be transparent. Let's remove the leaven and come to the table with a transparent heart, with a sincere and true heart, saying, I come, Father, to receive what you so graciously gave to me. And of course, we see we've got to be circumcised. What is it? To be circumcised in the heart, it means you are truly born again. And let me tell you, if you even... Ask yourself, am I born again? Well, let me tell you, you're not. Because when, why did God choose circumcision? Because it hurts. When you are truly born again, there is a cutting of your heart. You're like, you know, I remember the place, the time, the, I remember exactly the moment where I bound my knees and said, Jesus, help. I know I cannot do this life by myself. I need a savior. You remember that cutting of the heart. You remember that circumcision of the heart. And that's what we've got. You see, if you are truly born again, and no matter what's going on in your life, if you are willing to remove the leaven and the hypocrisy and come with a sincere and true heart, you can partake of everything. That belongs to the table. And you know, for the, because I can hear some of your questions. Uh-huh, yeah. I can hear some of you say, uh-huh. What about Ananias and Sapphira? <laughs> well, what about it? Let me tell you what Ananias and Sapphira. They were not, they were hypocrites. 
The Bible says in the book of Acts, and I believe it's chapter 5, verse 1, it says, a certain man, Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. But you know, four chapters later in, in Acts 9, it talks about a different Ananias. And you know what the Bible says? A certain disciple. You know what that tells me? That Ananias and Sapphira were not disciples. They were in the church pretending to be Christians, but never truly had been born again. Pretending to be, I want to be like Barnabas. I'm going to sell. And there was deceit in their heart. There was falsehood in their heart. There were hypocrisy. And yet they were not born again. They were not in the house and the blood was not all over them. So what happened? Judgment fell on them. Look at Judas. I mean, you see an example of Judas, and I'm taking a little trail there, but I can know some of you have those questions. Judas, what the Bible says, that he sat at the table with the other disciples. But when he took the bread, the Bible says, as soon as he took the bread and ate it, what did he say? Immediately Satan entered into his heart. You see? But we see an example, Peter. Peter denied Jesus, didn't he? Three times. He betrayed Jesus. But what's the difference between the two? Judas was not a true disciple of Jesus. He was a hypocrite. He had falsehood. He had deceit. He had malice in his heart. And he was not a true disciple of Jesus. He didn't even call him master or lord. He called him rabbi. He did not even recognize his lordship. But then you see Peter. Yeah, in a moment of weakness, he denied Jesus. But look at him. There was no judgment over him. Do you understand what you see what I'm talking about? The goodness, that's what God is after. A children, a people who is authentic, who is true, who is genuine, who is not afraid to come to the Lord's table. So this morning, without waiting any longer, you see, we, in a little bit, we're going to take communion. Because it would be unjust to preach this kind of message and not take communion. And we're going to take communion and have an opportunity to get free from addiction, to be healed of disease, to be strengthened in any kind of situation you need. But before we do that, there are some of you, you need to be circumcised in heart. We need to do this morning an inner surgery right there. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Everybody has their eyes closed. And this morning, you see, like I said, if you have to ask, if you don't know for sure that you are really a Christian, that you have been born again, circumcised in your heart, that you know, that you know, that you know that you are a Christian. If you don't know that for sure, then raise your hand. This morning, you can receive my Jesus. Yes, I see this hand. Maybe, you see, maybe you've been in church all your life. Maybe you've been in church, but you can be in church, but not in Christ. This morning, it's important not just to be in church, but to be in Christ. My friend, there is no time to waste. 
Yes, I see this hand. If you said, I want to take that decision. I want to be circumcised in heart. I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. I'd like to see your hand. If you said, I, enough with the hypocrisy, enough with, you know, I need to make things right. I don't know if you know my friends, but things, the way things are going, the way this government is transforming this nation, we are coming to a place where it's going to be, you're going to need to know that you are a Christian. Things are getting tougher and tougher. And you better know that you are in the house under the blood of Jesus, under his favor. And so I'm going to ask you, if you said, I need Jesus, I need to know that I am circumcised in my heart, that Jesus is my Lord. I need to know not just that I'm in the, in the church, but in, the, in Christ. If it's you, I want you to get up and come to the front. Stand up and come to the front. I saw a few hands. Hallelujah. You know how that pleases God when somebody, that's what I'm talking to about, being genuine, being authentic, being not afraid of what people are going to think or say. Come and fall. Hallelujah. It's time for you to come. I saw more hands getting up. I saw a lady. Come and sweetheart. Hallelujah. You might have thought, I'm not good enough to come to Christ. First I get cleaned up, then I'll come. Uh uh. No, you come as you are. And then His blood will do a transform you from the inside out. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anybody else in this house? Come on, sister. Tiko remana nase, idiara vaserere, onema unchile vasei, kido revasha tekei. Hallelujah. Hello, sister. Oh, de de kariate de de kiashtaradakasandede. Oh, yes, that's right. That's right. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of celebration. Anybody else? Don't let that little voice talk you out of it. Thinking, I know there is somebody here. I don't know who it is. But there's somebody here. You've been coming to this church for a long time. And you said, what would they think if I came? Because I've been here for a long time, but I truly don't know if I've been circumcised, if I'm really, really born again. Don't let that little voice keep you out of God's blessing. Because you see, there is a, oh, glory to God, there is a blessing here. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. Well, look at me for a second. We're going to pray a little prayer together. It is a glorious time. 
a glorious time. Because at that moment right here, but now, I believe with all of my heart that you came because you're serious about it. You're genuine. It's not, let's just pray a little prayer and, no. It's not just a little prayer, a little prayer and, it's coming and giving your heart and your life to God. You know, in some country around the world, before people pray and give their heart to God, they know for them it might mean life or death. And they're serious about it. They bring their heart. And I believe that's what's happening this morning. Just repeat after me. Let's just close our eyes. We close ourselves in a little sanctuary. Forget about who is around you. And Jesus himself is standing in front of you. And he's putting his hand on your heart right now. Repeat after me, Father God. Let's repeat all together, shall we, in the house? Father God. I come to you this morning in the name of Jesus. For I believe that he is the son of God. That he died on the cross to pay for all my sin. But he rose from the dead to give me a new life. To take my heart of sin and give me a heart. That is brand new. Today. I am a new creation. And I thank you Lord. From today on. I will seek to know you. To talk to you. And to listen to you. I love you. And I know you love me. Thank you, Father. I am your very own child. Amen. I would like you to turn around. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my great honor this morning.